Hey everyone, this is Steve Hutto with the Missions Community and Harvest Celebration Ministries. Thank you so much for stopping by the podcast and listening. You know, my heart's desire is to be a vessel through which God's encouragement can uh, cause believers in Jesus to stand up and uh, abide by the Word of God in these last days. You know, we live in the midst, as Jesus said, and even more so, of a crooked and perverse generation. And there's a lot of darkness out there, and we carry the light of the world. We are lights in this world, Jesus said. And so my, again, desire is to, that God would just use me to encourage you to take a stand, to go a step further, or to get up if you've fallen down and get back in the race and finish big. You know, God's got so much in store for you and me, and I just want to help uh, you to become who God created you to be. So thanks again for listening to this. This is a little bit different type teaching. It's a It's been pre-recorded from a service. This is part one of the origin of suffering. This morning, I'm going to talk about, in order to talk about suffering, I want to talk about the origin of suffering or the origin of sin. Because I believe this is basic, it's foundational to answering a lot of the questions that we're going to look at in this series. Now, I'll have to say, we don't have all the answers. We just don't have all the answers. And you know, that's what makes God, God, and us, us. But you know that we live in this little capsule we call life. that's governed by time. And it's a very, very, very small thing compared to eternity. And what we do, what we learn, the decisions we make in this little, this little capsule of time, known as our life, will affect us throughout all eternity. But because we live in this little capsule, we have a tendency, tendency to think smaller than what eternity really is. It's hard for us to fathom a lot of the things beyond this life because it'll be a realm for those who know Jesus of no suffering, no pain, no time, incredible hanging out with God forever and ever. But it's so hard to think past that because we're governed by so many things in this realm that we live in called our life. So a lot of things that we don't understand, we think God could have changed. And so God, a lot of times, gets the credit for stuff He doesn't do. And I want to go all the way back to the beginning of creation. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we'll find that this is where God, we know this, created the, the account of God creating the heavens and the earth. And this is the account of God creating Man and the fact that God put man in a garden. He put, listen, this is incredible. God put man in an environment that was perfect. Even God could come and hang out with man. I mean, we had everything. We had it all. Man could eat anything they wanted to. The climate was perfect. There was no sickness, no disease. Food didn't rot. I mean, it's hard to imagine all that, but it was, it was an incredibly perfect environment that God... It was a vacuum, if you will, compared to what we live in, uh, that God prepared for Adam and Eve. It was incredible. And God said, look, you can do anything you want, but listen, listen to the way our God is. God said, you can do anything you want, but I'm going to give you one boundary. One boundary. That is, you can eat from any tree 
You can eat the fruit of any tree of the garden except for one, and that is you cannot eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, in the, the, the second you do, you will surely die. Everybody ever read that before? You see? So God put a boundary there. Think about this. Think about boundaries, if you will. You know, one of the first boundary-enforcing words that we tell our children is what? No. Are we meanies? No. Another good time to say no. But we know things because we've been there, we've done things, we've lived life. How much more has God lived life? Because He is life. But we see that when that small child reaches for the, 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 the stove, the eye of the stove, and it's hot, we know what will happen, even though he or she doesn't, we know what will happen when they touch it. So we say no, and we grab them away, or maybe we slap them on the wrist or something, and we say, no, are we being mean? No, we're protecting them. See, the God we serve wants to protect us. Well, you say, Pastor, if it was a perfect society... Why did we need protection? Because there's something about man. I don't know the answer to this, but this is the way God created us. We are created to have the freedom to make choices. But God in His Word and God in His precepts and His principles always tells us what will happen when we make certain choices, right? And so here is this perfect utopian society made for Adam and Eve... God said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. And let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It's in your notes. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has, has God not said, or has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now I want you to, I want you to notice something here. The serpent didn't know the exact commandment that God had given to Adam and Eve. That proved it in that statement, because that's not what God said. Do you see that? But what he had to do is he had to fish for it. See, God, Satan's, well, he wasn't omnipresent. He, he's not God. He was a supernatural being, but so are angels. So Satan didn't know. He had to get Eve to confess what God said in order for him to begin to pervert what God said. Do you see that? So the serpent didn't know. So he, had, he, he began to fish for it. Watch this, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, now she sets, she sets him straight. From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, that's God's word there, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent didn't know exactly what God said until Eve told him. You see that this morning? You see, Eve discloses to the serpent the exact thing that will ruin, ruin mankind's relationship with his creator. So, the serpent as a master deceiver goes to work. Look at verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. So he says, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now listen to this carefully. The serpent was really saying to Eve, you will be like God only in the sense that you will know good and evil. You see, Eve had, listen, listen to the, 
perspective that Eve had of God. This incredibly wonderful creator used to hang out with them in the garden. He's the one that provided for them. He's the one that loved them. And so Eve's, even though it was deception, her perspective of God is, hey, I'm going to be like this really good guy. So Eve is being deceived here, thinking she's going to be like this incredible guy. But the truth is, Satan is right, but he don't want her to know the truth here. She's going to be like God, but the only way that he, she and Adam will be like God is that they're going to know the difference, or they're going to know good and evil. Now listen carefully to this. You cannot know good unless you can contrast it with evil. Well, didn't Adam and Eve live in a good place? Of course they did, but they'd never experienced evil. They didn't know good. They just knew God. Isn't that incredible? That's what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> it's going to be better than the Garden of Eden. And if time permits, I'll show you why in a, in a few minutes. So in order to know good, you've got to contrast it with evil. And, and the flip side of that is in order for you to know evil, you can't do it unless you contrast it with good. And so now they're about to know good and evil. But listen, when you know good and evil, you're touched by both of them. When you have the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be touched by both of them. If God reveals to you, which He has to every one of us, the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be touched by both knowledge of both good and evil. Now, some people that are good are touched by evil. Is that true? You see? But listen, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was touched by both good and evil when He came to this earth. Yeah, but Jesus didn't sin. Of course He didn't. He was sinless. He was, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was tempted in all areas just like we are, yet He didn't sin. That's what made Him the perfect sacrifice, right? But the truth is, it was our evil that crucified Him. It was our evil that he took upon himself that while hanging on the cross, God looked upon him. Or Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God can't dwell with sin. But, you know, that wasn't the end of the story. Thank God. Jesus dealt with our sin. So evil came in. Sin came in. We know this. I mean, if you've walked with God and you've studied this, and if you didn't, you'll find this. In, in the book of Genesis, that evil came in, sin came in, and death came in with it when Adam and Eve fell out of relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. From that time forward, every person on planet Earth has had to deal with good and evil. Now let's continue. Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Uh-oh. Adam, if you want to blame anybody, we're not into blaming Adam. But Adam could have stopped Eve. But instead, he was with her, he gave to him, and he ate it too. Then verse 7 says, both of them, the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. As a result of their decision to overstep the boundary or to not obey God's commandment, their eyes were opened to good and to evil 
And their very first response was that they were afraid of God. Now think about this. Eve thinks she's going to be like this wonderful God. Satan's talking to both of them. They think they're going to be like this wonderful God. And he is a wonderful God. But the fact is, when their eyes were opened, what they really experienced was the first time ever the knowledge of good and evil. And the first thing they did, and the first thing, and from that point on, mankind feared was afraid of God. The very loving God that created the heavens and the earth. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Wow. People are still hiding themselves from God. They don't want to come to God because there's sin. It doesn't matter who you are. When you get caught up in sin, you don't want to run to God unless you've had enough of it because you know He can handle it. He can take, take it away from you, right? And verse 9 says, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? The truth is, nobody told him. Here's the answer. First of all, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The answer to that is yes. And you know what happened when they did, when they crossed that boundary? They got burnt on the eye of the stove. When they crossed over that boundary, their eyes were open and exactly what God said would happen, happened. See, God doesn't lie. But what Satan wants to do, and we know this, he wants to take whatever God said and twist it and distort it and maybe change our perception of the way we receive it so that we receive the whole thing in the wrong way. Or he just wants to outright lie to us and say that God said, but God didn't say. <laughs> now, who are we blaming? Most people blame God, but we need to start putting the blame where it goes, right? Now let's skip down to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out, of, sent him out from the garden. Talk about Adam, but that's both of them. From the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground which he had, which, uh, from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, with all that said, with all that read, this brings up a very big question. I think it can be a legitimate question if we're open-minded and open-hearted about it. The big question is, why didn't God just keep Adam and Eve from falling? But why didn't God just say, hey, whoa, 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 Adam, grab him by the hair. That's all he could grab him by. Not trying to be crude or anything, but grab him by the hair and say, no, Adam, don't eat that. Eve, don't eat that. That's bad for you. Why didn't he just intervene? That's a good question. Well, I'm going to give you a big answer. And this is the root of it all. Because God gives man the freedom to choose. God gives man the freedom to choose. I mean, a lot of good things happen today as a result of good choices, but a lot of bad things also happen today as a result of bad choices. And you know what? It all goes back to this choice that was made in the Garden of Eden. God gives man the freedom to choose. 
When God doesn't keep bad stuff from happening to people, why is that? It's because the good and the bad that happen to people are the result of the freedom to choose. It's the result of the freedom to choose. You know, I think it's kind of ironic. I've had people tell me, I don't want to, I don't want to serve God. I want to give my life to God now because I have to, I have to give up all my freedoms. <laughs> Is that ironic or what? I'll, I'll have to give up all my freedoms. But yet, when something bad happens, they say, God, why didn't you just take over and intervene? But a lot of people don't really want to know God because they don't really know what's going to happen after they accept the Lord. And, and so, they, they, you know, I was the same way. I, I would, my attitude was, well, if I give my life to God, then I'm going to give up all this fun stuff that I'm doing. And then I'm going to be a mindless robot, and I'm going to have to do whatever God tells me to do, and I'm going to have to obey His Word. And if I don't, He's going to slap me all the time. That was my view of God, which, of course, was another thing that Satan had perverted. But that's not the God that was in the Garden of Eden, and it's not the God that is God of us today. And so when God doesn't do when we want to, saved or unsaved, who do we blame? God. But yet we're not willing to give our lives over to Him so He can have control, not dictatorship, but control of everything that we are and everything that we do because He knows best. Remember, He created it all. Don't go over to the Chevrolet dealership to Mr. Goodwrench and say, we need some marital counseling. You might go to him and say, I need my car fixed, but you don't go to him and say, I need some marital counseling. You know who you ultimately go to? The one who instituted marriage. God. God knows more about marriage than any marriage counselor or any pastor or any born-again, spirit-filled Christian or any non-Christian. God knows more. Why? He created it. Right? <laughs> well, if God always intervened... Can I just be totally honest? If God always intervened to keep us from sinning, to keep us from doing bad stuff, we'd get pretty mad at God because He'd snatch us out of some stuff we wouldn't want to be snatched out of. Think about that. I don't want God to control my life, but yes, I'm going to blame God because He let something happen to me that He could have stopped me from, you know? Now I'm paying the price for it. But you know what? If God was into the habit or if He was into the practice of snatching you and me out of everything that we were doing wrong, we'd end up hating God because we'd say, God, you won't let me do anything. You won't let me sin at all. <laughs> but He gives us a choice. Is that right? Let's just be real about this thing. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. God speaking to Israel through Moses just before they go into the promised land. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Just in case you don't know, life equals the blessing. Death equals the curse. And he says, watch this. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. But I want you to notice something. What did God not say? God didn't say, I order you to choose life. I know you can choose either one, but I'm going to kick you where it hurts if you, if you don't choose life. That's not what God said. God said, I'm putting before you life and I'm putting before you death, blessing and cursing. And he says, you know what? You make the choice. But let me just make a suggestion since I am the infinite God that created this universe and my wisdom is unfathomable, okay? He says, let me just make a little suggestion because I do really know Father does know what's best. Choose life. Choose life. You can make the decision, but I, I would love for you to choose me, God says. 
But you make the choice. You see, he gives us the power to choose. Again, he doesn't punish us because we don't choose, but he sets the choice. The choice is before us. And I have no doubt, it's, it's proven in the Bible, that God wants a people who have freely chosen him. He doesn't want a race of mindless robots that he's forced into serving. So let me just settle something here and now. If, this, if you've ever questioned this, you know, I, I don't want to give my life to God because he will control me and he will make a robot out of me. That's wrong. You can choose anything you want to because God created you that way. You can choose life or you can choose death. But all I'm going to say is like God, life is better. Now you might want to go through the scripture a little bit and find out what happens to those who inherit death because of their choice or those that inherit life because of their choice. And the truth of the matter is, since Adam and Eve, since the fall, we call it in the garden, we're all born into death. We're all born into death because mankind has just propagated this fall throughout the, throughout the world ever since this happened. So when a baby is born even today, we're born into death. So we still will have the opportunity or opportunities throughout our life to choose life. But we can choose to stay in death. That's how you choose death, okay? You're already there, but you can choose to stay in death. And God's saying, hey, I know. Choose life. It's better. So why is there suffering in the world? Because of a choice made a long time ago in the Garden of Eden. But I have to tell you this. There was another choice made 2,000 years ago in a garden called Gethsemane. You see, of course, the choice for Jesus to come, for God to send His only begotten Son is where it all started. But in the garden that night before Jesus was crucified, there was a battle going on for your soul and my soul. And everything that Jesus had done in His three and a half year ministry, everything that had been done came down to this. And Satan showed up and there was another war going on. There was another battle. There was another choice set before Jesus. Jesus said, if it is possible, Father, if there is another choice, if you have a better way, then let it happen. But Jesus said, the bottom line is, whatever you want, I'm going to do. And of course, looking back, we know that God wanted Jesus to go through with it. We know that God wanted Jesus to lay his life down for us. But Jesus won that battle that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he ended up going to the cross for you and me the next day. So now we truly have before us not just life and death, but we have Jesus and death before us. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Steve Hutto saying thank you so much for listening to part one of The Origin of Suffering. Part two is on the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by my podcast. You have a very blessed day. God bless you.